Y'all, it's season four on Profane Faith. Woo, doggies. Can y'all believe that? Season four is here. Oh, we about to go in, y'all. As always, come on. Jesus uttered these words 2,000 years ago. How are they going to beat ISIS? I don't think it's going to happen. But but he has these bizarre ideas about what Christianity stands for and what it means. Atomic bombs and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when he does, you will no longer be a homosexual, but you will be a heterosexual. And that's what it means to be white. To say that you're standing on your own ground and standing on somebody else's and then mystify the whole process. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, 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 y'all. What is happening out there in podcast land? Oh, my goodness. Wow. Season four, y'all. Here it is. Y'all, I cannot believe this. I really, truly, I am amazed at just the amount of love y'all out there as listeners, as fans, as a community have shown uh, towards me. I've gotten emails, I've gotten posts, I've gotten DMs um, from folks just saying, man, when's, when's, when's season four coming? When's the podcast? I keep checking my, you know, I keep checking the the, the listing and everything, man, and nothing's showing up. So y'all, that, that, that in a world of crazy ass shit that's going on right now, that gives a, some glimmer of hope. And it just, it's, it's a nice warm feeling. Um, and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much to those who are out there and listening. The listenership has grown. I'm excited. This season will be hitting our hundredth episode, which is kind of amazing. I, when I first started this, you know, two years ago, um, I literally just thought, well, let me just give it a season. Let me run a few episodes and see where it goes. Um, and I am so happy uh, to see where it goes. Um, this has really been a medium for me, uh, particularly as a speaker, as someone who thinks out loud as an Enneagram 4, uh, who is intense, can be intense. Uh, this has been a great space uh, for me to kind of work some of those things out and just wrestle with stuff. Uh, we live in some, some crazy ass times right now. And... Um, yeah, this it's it's oh, I it, it it it's very depressing and I've seen a lot of you. A lot of you, particularly those of you who are listening, I've heard a lot of you that are just they're just taking some time off from uh you know, social media and, and looking at news and everything. And I and I respect that. I respect that because I have too because it's just too much stuff, right? This is it's too much. It's too crazy. It's it's insane the amount of 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 crap that has to be engaged with as POC. Um, and I see you out there, white allies. I see you. Don't get me wrong. I, I, we talk a lot about whiteness and white supremacy on this show. Uh, if you've ever heard me speak, you know, I talk a lot about that, but I just, I definitely want to recognize my white allies, um, that are out there. I'm married to one. Um, and I see, you know, the work that she puts in, I see the work that both of us put in. Um, and this, it's a, it's a it's a crazy ass time and we are living in an upheaval um, of society. I mean, and, you know, I can I'll, I'll probably end up doing an episode here about some historical context, some socio theological, some socio historical uh, context uh, about why we're at where we're at. And I know there's a whole bunch of them out there already, but I figured, you know, let me throw my hat in the ring. Um, 
because I'm somebody who studies patterns and eras and, and shifts. And we are living in one of those shifts right now. Um, and I think this is the first time that at least that we know of that humans have had social media, which exacerbates everything. Right. It takes everything to, you know, multiplied by 50. And so, uh, you know, you're seeing that and you're seeing that everywhere. You're not just seeing it just be, you know, in, in the political realm. You're seeing that in environments uh, in education. Uh, you're seeing that environments in the industry, private and business. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we think about automation, you think about uh, artificial intelligence, you think about what is happening in those environments. Uh, you know, they're predicting that when, you know, the, in the next 10 years that before us, as we enter this new decade in 2020, um, it's going to bring some major change, um, both environmentally and uh, societally, uh, economically. Uh, you know, you have most, most, most stores right now are shifting. They won't admit it, but they're doing it because it's cheaper. It's it's better. It's more efficient uh, to put machines in control. They can go 24 hours. We ain't got to pay them uh, benefits. It takes less human power to run them. You need one person to run, you know, 20 machines as opposed to, you know, having 20 people who are going to complain and ask for union rights and all that stuff. Y'all, this is this is a serious thing that's going to be, you know, because our economy is based on a lot of manual labor. And we've built up a society where CEOs are making billions of dollars uh, and are hoarding that money. And thereby, in fact, you know, destroying and, and cutting into the middle class because we don't have the middle class is, uh, is, is sustained, if you will, um, by those type of industry jobs where you can, um, you know, go to a factory and work, go to a, the GM plant and work, go to the school and work, you know, uh, and most people want to do that. Right. They just want to work their lives they want to work what they got come home and maybe at the end of the week have a beer or two right you know or in my case you know have a whiskey or two um single barrel right there you go 120 proof and um you know we're losing that and so we've got some interesting times ahead of us um so i'm thankful for this this little um this little space here and i think i want to thank you the fans and those who are listening, keep sending the comments, keep liking, keep recommending. Thank you. You know, shout out to the folks who are recommending Profane Faith online. Um, thank you so much. This is uh, I'm really hyped for this season. So a couple of different things that I'm thinking about for this season. Um, and then I want to get right into our guests, which is that brings us to the first point. One, <laughs> I want to stop talking as much at the beginning here. Um, I'm going to do my best job to um, to not. Uh, I really just want to hop in. It's the beginning of season four. So, you know, cut, cut me a little slack. Cut a brother a little slack. Um, and you know, because I think our guests have amazing thoughts, you know, unless I'm the guest, right? I know I did a couple episodes um, uh, last season three where, you know, I was the one who was, uh, you know, the guest myself and kind of speaking or whatever and what have you. But uh, as with other guests, I want to hop right in, you know, give their bio, give their update who we're talking about um, and then uh, get right into that. Um, there's been several recordings. I've pre-recorded a lot of, of, of these uh, interviews and these episodes that y'all about to hear in the coming weeks. And I'm really, I heard you. I really hear what y'all saying. I get that a lot of great podcasts are between 20 and 30 minutes. I, I'll be honest. I, I tried that. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Um, but I, 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 this is what I can do. This is what I can do. I can keep it to around 45 to 60 minutes. So that's going to be my goal. That means there's going to be several episodes, that, including the one today, uh, that is going to be in two parts. Um there's just no way to, uh, to I, I, and I don't want to kind of bore, like, you know, because after a while, right, it's just like the human mind, even if you're engaged after about, you know, eight or seven minutes, you know, your mind starts to wander. And if you're, you know, and if you're, you know, fiddling around with something or whatever, and most people's commutes are 20, 30, 40 minutes. So I kind of want to fit into that time frame. Um, 
and whatnot. And so uh, this episode, particularly today, and I introduce our guest here in a minute, is going to be in two parts. We just went on and I just kept the recorder going and I was like, there's no way I'm going to shut this off. Um, but I also realized there's no way I'm going to be able to run a two hour show. So we're going to split these uh, up into t- uh, several parts just to kind of be able to digest some of the mater- material and, you know, talk about it and whatnot. And also, give preferential uh, treatment to what the guests are saying, depending on what they're saying, because I think there's a lot of folks out there who are saying some amazing stuff and we just want to kind of give them that platform. So that's the first one. Uh, we're, I guess, first and second one, really. And the, and the next one is I'm really trying to limit this season to maybe 20 episodes. I'm, I, I've I've talked to uh, some good friends of mine. Well, it's a couple of people who have started some great podcasts. I think, uh, what is it called? The, the, the Podluck or, or the Podluck, is it? Megan Weistrash. I've had her on the show here um, and she's got an amazing podcast. She just had me on and you know she's theming it and she's timing it out you know like 10 episodes and stuff um I am thinking between 15 and 20 episodes per season so this is just another thing I'm trying to implement and again see where it goes um it may work it may not work I don't know but uh let's check it out and see and and uh, just to kind of give us you know a bit of a time frame because I know last year I started season three right around this time and then season three went through like the summer right and it's just kind of like all right I think we need to have good breaks I think I I, I'd rather leave here's what I my thought process on all this is I'd rather leave while the party is still popping you know, rather than leaving when the party's like, oh man, there's like four people left, they all asleep, and one person's like, hey, hurrah. So I want to be able to, you know, to walk out on that and give y'all top quality content um, that uh, this podcast can present. So those are just some of the things that I'm thinking about here for season four. Of course, we're going to do uh, episode 100 up. It's going to be hard to believe that, you know, 100 episodes in, that's that's uh, that's crazy. Of course, I'm nowhere near, uh, what do they call him, the podfather. Uh, uh, oh, what is that brother's name? He uh, he runs a podcast. He's going to kill me. Homebrewed Christianity, right? You know, them them cats is like at 2,000 um, episodes and stuff. So I, I'm nowhere near there. But, you know, for a humble beginning and recording this down here in, in, in my own studio and whatnot, you know, 100 episodes, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So those are some of the thoughts. Holla back, whitehodgepodcast.com, or you can go to whitehodge.com, but hit me back. You know what I'm saying? I'm on Twitter, um, at Dan White Hodge, and, uh, you know, that's my public profile, so you can, you know, you, that's where you can, you know, probably reach out to me the quickest. You can also go through my website and drop me a line there, uh, or go on White Hodge Podcast, drop me a line there. And, you know, just hit me back. Tell me what you think. Um, you know, again, I'm trying to, you know, keep with some of the formats. I know I can't do no 20, 30 minutes, but I know I can probably keep keep it within 45 and 60 minutes. Um, and then, you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll break it down. And I'm thinking season three, you know, we'll do 15, 20 episodes and, and see where we're at. What y'all say? Cool. All right. All right. All right. Let's get to today's guest. So, um, oh my gosh, uh, Andre Henry, what can I say? Y'all, y'all know this cat. Y'all know this brother, you know, he has 10,000 plus followers on Twitter. So I know y'all know him. Um, he had an interesting post, uh, a few weeks back, uh, and is leaving of irrelevant, uh, this magazine kind of online magazine, Christian, um, what do you want to call it? Space platform. And, uh, you know, as, as things usually happen in white dominant organizations, uh, things went sour real quick. And I wanted to have him on and he wrote an amazing uh, piece, uh, regarding that and his transition. Uh, Andre Henry, uh, is like, a, he would not like, he is a minister. Uh, he works a lot on racial justice, social change, uh, and music. 
He's out in Los Angeles, uh, and he's lectured at universities, worked with community organizers and activists, um, and he is really looking. He's all in for the effort and part of movement for racial justice, and uh, he says his journey has convinced him that we're not obligated to live in a world where people are systematically disadvantaged because of racial categories. Uh, it doesn't have to be this way uh, because ordinary people... Uh, insurance salesmen, soccer moms and students uh, and the like have the power to change society and create history. And uh, I do believe that that is exactly what Andre is doing. Um, I had the privilege to sit down and talk with him for a little bit. Um, and that little bit turned into two hours. So this is the first part of two parts um, in this series uh, or this, this or this particular episodes and whatnot. And again, uh, I think it's just deep what's going on and what's happening. And I think it's important to talk about the history and the context context and also about what brings us to some of these decisions right because for people of color these are not easy decisions to leave i mean we're most of us well all the folks that i know of who are doing this type of work we're tied to a paycheck we're tethered tethered to some aspect of capitalism in this society none of us are off the grid and living off the land and whatnot we're tied to some component of money and so to leave, to get fired, to walk away. I mean, these are big things, y'all. These are things that don't just, we don't just happenstance on. These are things that we think on and ponder on. Um, and so work is an important part of, of pretty much everyone's life, but also, you know, the paycheck is too. So uh, we talked about that. We talked about his life, uh, his mission, his, his and where he's been, um, and just really, you know, uh, where, where, where he's ended up at. So check this out. Part one of Andre Hendry and I talking check it out folks here we go welcome back it's profane faith season four we're in the mix we're bringing you some topics that are that are hot they're on fire and <laughs> <laughs> the guest i have on today uh has some deep shit to go into today y'all <laughs> so we're gonna break it down man uh so andre welcome to, to, to profane faith man hey thanks for having me Brother, it's been a, a pleasure and honor. I've followed you on Twitter, and uh, I was like, man, I got to get this brother on. I got to get this brother on. You know, and I send out invites, and yeah. I was like, when you responded, I was like, oh, great, man. Uh, <laughs> um, but before we hop into the to the madness, man, uh, maybe share a little bit, man. What's What's been going on between birth and now for yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, it's funny, like, you know, uh, Soren Kierkegaard talks about how you can only understand your life backwards in hindsight. Yeah. Right? And lately when people have been talking to me about how I've come to where I am right now, I found a new point of beginning that story. I used to always kind of start with uh, music because I've always loved music. And, you know, my, my parents, my mom, she's not around anymore. But I remember she told me, you know, before I could talk, you know, I'd, I'd be, you know, uh, stumbling around the house, humming songs, you know, that, that I heard on the TV and stuff. But, um, I've been finding a new beginning for that, for that, for, for my story in thinking about around fifth, fifth grade or fourth grade or so. Yeah. Um, there were, there were three things that, that really, I feel have become themes of my life. And one is, Obviously, I mentioned music, but specifically, I used to listen to my my parents' records. They had a record player, and my older siblings, you know, they used to use the record player too. But my, I think it was my mom's record. She had this Bob Marley and the Wailers record, 
burning and looting because my family's Jamaican. Okay, all right. So um, so I and I would listen to that record every single day. I remember. Mm. I remember that. Mm. But one of my favorite songs on that record was "Get Up, Stand Up." Oh, <laughs> come on, come on. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, as a, as a kid though, right? So like. I don't know what kind of, you know, oppression or whatever. I don't know how I was aware of that kind of thing in my, you know, in my spirit somehow. Um, My dad is a black radical thinker. He's more like, he's a Garveyite. He's a, you know, Rastafarian kind of dude. And he's so, and he's not religious at all. So that might be a part of it too. Just having like my dad, you know, kind of like the way that he used to talk about religion and stuff. So anyway... Actually, I mentioned that to a to someone who to a teacher, and she mentioned to me that kids actually understand oppression at an early age because mm. of ageism in the home, and okay. especially like, especially for us, like you know, um, I think black kids, we we all talk about how you know your, your parents probably probably says something, you know, like you're supposed to be seen and not heard. Yeah, and, you know, oh yeah, do this because I said so. Yep. <laughs> so she was saying that like kids actually. We put, we understand oppression because of things like that, and we understand how it, how it feels to be treated differently because of our age. So maybe that's where it came from. Anyway, okay. so that was, all right. That was one thread I've been looking back and seeing. Oh, it's not just the music, but also the content of that music. It stood out to me. You know, it resonated with me. I used to listen to Get Up, Get Up, Stand Up. I memorized the words as a kid. But there was, and so there's two other things. Um, one was this draw to revolutions. Like, I love my favorite subject in school, elementary school, was social studies. <laughs> oh, come on. Yes. I love so. Three, but also culture and all these things together. And I'm just now, like, as an adult, putting this back together, realizing, like, I used to really love social studies. But, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite subjects in social studies, aside from the indigenous peoples of the Americas, I yeah. loved reading about the indigenous peoples, was the American Revolution. Now, I used to sit in my room as a kid with my social studies book in the summer. I had my social <laughs> studies book in the summer. Yeah. Locked up, locked up in my bedroom, <laughs> drawing, drawing pictures of the battles of the American Revolution. Get out of here, brother. Come on. Yeah. Yes, I just, sir. Something about the idea that these people banded together and stood up to a bully, the British Empire, and they won. Yeah, man, that just, it resonated with me. And one of the pictures I remember, I can see it in my head right now as I'm talking about it, is a picture of Crispus Attucks, the first black man. Yes, yes. American Revolution. I was like, so I'm looking back on my life and seeing like that. And the third thing was um, the Bible. Um, now my mom, I didn't really, I'm, I'm just not realizing this too, is that like, I didn't realize what she was doing, but in my home, there was a black Jesus on the wall. Yeah, come <laughs> on, all right. Like there was, Jesus had dreadlocks. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, Jesus was, Jesus was on the wall with his dreadlocks and stuff. <laughs> and so she had this book. She had this book of Bible characters and they were all black and they were all from Africa. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit. When I was in college, I was in a beginning uh, uh, intro to biblical languages class. And the I don't remember how the professor got here, but he was like, <clears throat> he got on the topic of race. And this is an older Jewish man, Dr. Zimmerman. 
you know. Okay. So Dr. Zimmerman was like, you know, he started talking about the curse of Ham. Mm. And he said, who are Ham's descendants? And he listed them, and one of them was Foot. And he said, what, what, what nation came from Foot? And I'm the only one in the class that knows. I go, Libya. He goes, and then there was Cush. And, and who, what, 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 what nation came from Cush? I go, Ethiopia. And he said, Mitzrayim. Uh, who, who, what nation comes from Mitzrayim? Egypt. And then he goes, Canaan. You know, mm. uh, then who 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 came from Canaan? Well, the Canaanites, obviously. And he goes, now, what what color, like what pigmentation do these nation do these descendants have? These nations have only one of them is white. I was the only one in the in the one that knew that knew like to make those connections between those nations and to say the only one of those descendants of Ham that and the one that was cursed happened to be the one that was not black. Now, I don't believe that the curse of Ham has anything to do with race. So nobody should run around talking about that. I said that white people are cursed. But I don't, you know, I'm not saying white people are cursed. I'm just saying I'm the only one in the room that knew the information. And the yeah. reason why yeah. is because when I was a kid, I had that reference book from my mom with all these biblical characters who are black. <clears throat> I used to draw charts and tables and okay, this person came from this place at this time and this nation and copy the pictures and stuff like that. And so I'm connecting these dots of revolution and art and uh, revolutionary faith, you know, of black faith. And those have been like the, the markers of my life, you know, as I've gone through white, mostly white evangelical spaces. I don't even, I didn't even really draw on that well of revolutionary impulse and thought of of black christianity or viewing christianity through through a through my black experience rather um i would say until like uh 2015 2016 when the black lives matter movement was i, I would say that's probably part of the heyday of the black lives matter movement okay um, and it put me in that you know when the black lives matter movement put me in direct conflict with the white evangelical spaces that I, and people that I had, you know, grown accustomed to and loved because I assumed this whole time, I don't know how I assumed the whole time that we were on the same page about like racism being a sin. Like I just, I just thought that that was a given for, for people. But when I started speaking up about it, um, it really put me at odds with people that I had known and loved for a long time that came from those white evangelical spaces. But all of a sudden, I start leaning more into that <clears throat> that revolutionary impulse. You know, that kid singing "Get Up, Stand Up" in his bedroom, drawing pictures of Christmas addicts and <laughs> dreaming about revolution. Like, and also, I'm, I remember like the first song I ever wrote. The name of it was "Oppression," and it told the story of African people being uh, enslaved and stolen and up to the present as I knew it. And I was in sixth grade when I wrote that song. That's my first original song. So I start drawing on that well that I, in a way that I never had before. And it really upset, you know, my relationship with these people and, and with my understanding of Christian faith to that point. You know, I had this moment, I woke up, I was supposed to be leading worship at this church in Glendora from, you know, I was driving from Pasadena. So, you know, you got, it's like an hour away-ish. Yeah. And if I, if I was going to get there on time, I needed to have left 15 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's story of my life, brother. Story of my life. <laughs> but uh, I'm laying on my, I'm laying on my couch and I'm going, 
yo, I think Christianity might really be for white people. Mm. You know? And if and if Christianity is for white people, I'm not going to church today. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care what the, what I'm supposed to be doing over there. Like, and there, and I got there because when I start ta- when I started talking about, <clears throat> I started talking about us organizing and standing up to bullies together. Just like I thought it was endemic to American culture to do. I thought that's what it meant to be American. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and believing that God is against oppression and against systemic oppression too. Like all these white pastors were telling me stuff like racism is not a priority to God. That's not part of the gospel. All that kind of stuff. I was like, oh, well, if God only cares about the things that middle-class white Americans care about, then Whoa. God must be a middle-class white American. And that can't be true. Yeah. So yeah. that means y'all, y'all made him up. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like it's it's too convenient that like God shares all of your interests, you know, like every single one of them, you know. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I so that that was like a turning point for me where I I leaned into a very different understanding of Christian faith that moves justice to the center, you know, um, and to understand even to a greater degree than I had before, like if I'm going to believe in the God of the Bible, it's got to be, it's got to be in the way that, you know, Richard Allen and Nat Turner and Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and, you know, <clears throat> those ancestors believed in a God that was, you know, for their freedom. Yeah. And that's where I am now, man. That's where like a lot of the work that I'm doing um, in speaking and writing about social movements and social change, about anti-racism and all that is, kind of comes out of that that turning point. So I think uh I think that's I think that's up to now. Yeah. <laughs> well that's I mean that's and that's good because that answers that quite because I was wondering like okay how did religion, particularly Christianity, play a role, you know, in you know your formation you know if, if pops didn't have, you know, the religious background. But how, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, I'd be, yeah. I'd just be curious, you know, particularly with yeah. you know, a revolutionary spirit, because a lot of folks who are of that revolutionary nature will have a very strong critique, particularly of Christianity. Uh, yeah, you know, particularly folks sure. who are black or who are from, you know, Pan African ancestry. For sure. I mean, so my grandma took me to church when I was oh, yeah. when I was a kid. Uh-huh. So that's that's how I ended up really just kind of being glued you know to the church in some ways but i tell you that 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 moment in 2016 i believe it was man i i really struggled and i continue to struggle you know with reconciling you know blackness and christianity you know like i don't struggle as much today as i do like i don't when when i say I, i don't struggle right now it's more because i don't even try to make them match you know what i mean like some days it makes sense. Some some days it don't, and I just let it be. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, no, straight um, up. But um, but in 2016, I really did for a while consider myself an atheist. Okay, you know? all right. I could I considered myself. I was like, listen, like God is not real if God is white. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, straight up. So I was like, that's where I was. And then, man, I had this like real, 
it's kind of it's a strange like mystical experience I had where it was after Philando Castile was killed. Oh man. And um man, I was distraught for like a few weeks. Yeah. Like I didn't want to talk to nobody. I wasn't eating very much. I was just like, man, like this country really. It, right. it wasn't even it wasn't even just the the actual event. It was like the outright inability of white America to see that this is a part of a pattern or maybe the refusal to see. Right. Like the denial. I was just like, man, this is hopeless. And um, man, I had like a, I was sitting down over a plate of leftovers. And I was like, I, I better eat, you know, <laughs> like and um. Next thing you know, I I had like a like a vision, I guess you could say. Yeah. And I was walking in old Pasadena yeah. by the park on Raymond. Oh yeah. And from the inside of the park, I could hear a street preacher. And you know, I don't really like street preachers at all, <laughs> but I'm always curious about them. Like Yes, I know. I can't stand them, but I also am like, man, let me hear what this man say. Right, <laughs> right. I'm the same way, brother. I'm the same way. Like, come on, man. Yeah. So I was like, you know, true, true to form, even in the vision, I I went to go see like who was talking and what they were saying. I mean, I mean, I also like think it's important, like, to say like I was as lucid as I am right now. It was like so weird. Like it was like a daydream. Okay. But I was like fully conscious. I was in control of myself. I had agency. So I decided to go and hear what this person was saying. And I followed the voice. And when I got into the park, I looked and it was me. The street preacher was me. <laughs> um, and I was standing like next to this huge, like a boulder. It was painted white. And on the boulder was written all these different injustices that, <clears throat> you know, that we were talking about at the time. The names of victims of violence, and, um, you know, white privilege and Eurocentrism wow. and all these other things were written on the, on the boulder. Wow. And, and then I came back to my senses and I just started crying. Cause I was like, I felt like I had to do it, but I really didn't want to. Cause I'm like, yeah. that, that, that sounds crazy. Like, you know, like you, okay. So you're from Pasadena, you know, there are characters in Pasadena. Oh yeah. There's a, <laughs> like a flute man, the dude who just be driving around with his window down, he'd be playing the recorder. It's not even a flute, it's a recorder. Yeah. <laughs> it's an elementary school student's instrument. Yeah. You know? And he'd be jamming, like he just like, like he think he Kenny G or something, you know? <laughs> you yeah, know, brother. And then there's Bible man. You ever seen the man oh, with yeah. the huge, the huge Bible on a cart? Like a like y'all listening, this is like a six-foot Bible he's got on a cart that he'd be wheeling around Pasadena. There's the dude who just be like, you know, there's a dude also where he doesn't have any props, but he just is like dancing around Pasadena. Like his mode of transportation is dance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so like he, he got his headphones in, he's got his sunglasses on every time. And he just like, you know, turning up like to get from place to place. It's yep. almost like he's a cartoon character or a video game character or something like that, right? Like you hit forward and he just got to like body roll, body roll, body roll, body roll, body roll, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. Exactly. So, so there are some there are some characters in Pasadena. So when I felt like I'm supposed to do this thing, I'm like, I can't be one of the characters of Pasadena, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, sir. But I felt, I felt really compelled. And so I did, you know? Um, and in doing that, in the process of doing that, I came back to faith. Wow. Um, wow. 
it's so crazy. So I joke with people. I'd be like, yeah, you know, um, I started feeling like I was an atheist. And then God was like, well, carry this rock around and see how you feel about it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And I still, like I said, I still do struggle, though. I mean, because of, and I think that James Cone talks about this. Not that we need James Cone to talk about it because it's it's our experience. But, I mean, when you experience um, and and you're conscious of injustice, you're conscious of oppression and all, of all the violence in the world. Sometimes it's hard to reconcile the kind of God that you're taught about in a more conservative or evangelical or even some, some you know, traditional black churches where how is God omnipresent, all-knowing, entirely benevolent and all-powerful, and yet didn't stop a bullet for Philando Castillo? I, you know? Yeah, yeah. Come on. It's and it's a question that I can't answer, you know. Right, right. I can't answer, and so there are some days where I go, that just does not make any sense to me, <clears throat> and I don't know if I believe it. And then there are other days where, I mean, bro, like I remember one day I was, I'm sitting in my dining room right now, and just like a foot away from where I'm sitting, I feel like it was a few. I don't remember when it was, but it might have been earlier this year or whatever. But I remember it just like laying on the floor and bawling my eyes out and being like, I don't even remember what it was about, but I feel like it was also related to like, God, you don't, you don't be showing up for me. Right. And at the same time, while I was on the floor, like kind of in, <clears throat> it's hard to talk about this kind of stuff. Cause I want to be like, you know, I'm a sane, intelligent person, but like, I also feel like being a sane, intelligent person is also just being honest about what your experience is. Right. So like, I'm on the floor, I'm crying, and I can like see in quotes, (laughs) like not like I can see my computer in front of me, but I don't know, it's it's a sense that like Jesus was standing there, like not touching me, but like with his arm, you know, like how you would be standing over someone, but, and you're like, it's okay, like I'm here. Like it was, it was that sense of like, now, he didn't have his hands on me, but he was just standing over me. He's going, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. Wow. Sometimes I have, I have days like that. And even though I have experiences like that, I still be waking up the next day like, was that real? You know, so it's just, <clears throat> you know how it is. Like faith is not. I, I, I tend to think more about faithfulness than about faith. You yes. Know? Yes. Because I can wrap my brain around you know, there are, there are days where I don't know what to mentally assent to. I can't tell you what creed, you know, I can, I can tell you that I fully believe in at this moment. Right. But I know that I have had experiences that make me, that make me believe that, that God is there and God is real. I can't always name in certain terms for you who I think God is and what I think that means, you know? Yeah. But I've had these experiences of something more than my, than my material existence. Yes. <clears throat> that I'm okay with, with referring to as God. I've only known that more-ness as Jesus, you know, and Jesus is compelling to me. And, I, and when I think about what it means to be a good person, I end up coming back to the things that I believe Jesus taught, <laughs> you know? And yeah, and I would like to be like Jesus in all of his revolutionary, 
um, <laughs> uh, presence, you know? I be telling people, listen, like, cause sometimes people, you know, you're, you're a straight talker. So I know you get like how some people don't understand like how you can be a Christian and also just be like, you know, just that straight up, you know, but I try to keep 100 <laughs> people. And I be telling people, cause sometimes people be like, Andre, you're not Christ-like. And I'd be like, listen, I've never been as rude as Jesus. Like, <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Thank you. That nigga was like rude as fuck, man. That nigga, I was like, the first time I read Jesus, I'm like, damn, he cussing out a synchronophician woman? Like, like that? Like that, Jesus? Jesus, yeah. you crazy, nigga. Damn. I was just like, I've never been, I've never been as rude as Jesus. I just, you know. Thank you. You're the first person that's articulated just like that. Thank you. All right. <laughs> that's a wrap. Right there. <laughs> So, yeah, and I, 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 I want to thank you for giving me the chance to talk about like my faith in that way, because I'm always I'm always hesitant to like call myself a Christian in some some ways. Yeah. Because I feel like people have so many expectations of yep. what that means. And I'm like, I think that I'm a Christian, <laughs> you know, um, but I, I also want to be honest about like. Hey, I, that certainty thing that I used to have. Right, right. I don't have it anymore, you know? And so that, you know, that complicates it. And I'm okay with it, you know? Like, yes. Yes. I'm okay with not being certain anymore because I don't believe that I can be. Um, so the most that I'm trying to do is figure it out, just like I see the people in the Bible doing. Like, exactly. You know what trips me up? What trips me out is that, like, I keep thinking about how like, okay, when Moses meets God, God is like, okay, my name is Yahweh, right? <laughs> right. And he's like, but Abraham and Isaac knew me as El Shaddai. And I also know that El is like the name of the high God of Canaan, right? Like all of the Canaan, all the people in Canaan and the ancient, well, in that region, like they, they understood El to be just the high God of Canaan. So like, so Abraham and Isaac thought that God was some like completely somebody else, just just like, and and God didn't do anything about that, right? Like God wasn't like God didn't introduce himself to Abraham and be like, I'm I'm Yahweh, you know, call me by my real name, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, just, he didn't. He just let them, he just let them understand. Uh, I keep saying he. So, oh my gosh! Uh, uh, God just let them understand God yeah. the way that the way that they did, and so that gives me a lot of comfort because I'm just like it's us human beings that be tripping. We're just like you gotta you gotta have this theological checklist. You gotta have all the right answers. You gotta be sure that you got the right answers, and that doesn't seem to be the way that God behaves. Well, oh, brother, you you said a, a whole damn season worth of of shit right there, man. That, <laughs> this, this brother just laid it out right there. All right, I'm just gonna tell folks right now. If you listen, you just need to like, rewind, rewind the last like five minutes and listen to what brother Andre had to say. Because man, that is the truth, right? It's like God is so complex and mysterious, and there's things that we don't understand about the Godhead. 
But I feel like, and this is just me. I'm not trying to put this on you or anybody else. This is me. This is me. I feel like Western evangelical Christianity has boiled it down to three systematic classes of theology. And that's where God fits. And if it doesn't fit in there, you don't have this personal relationship, right? That's not even biblical. That shit comes from the 1800s. And if people don't know who George Whitfield is, go read up on your church history. That shit is a social construct, but we have now embodied it. And I'm not just talking about white folks. I'm talking about good people of color that are, and I include myself in that. And it wasn't really until I started getting deep into the material because I was like, right, how do you reconcile this Christianity that has been white for so long and has been used to oppress us? Right. Um, and it really derived right out of a conversation that came out of the conversations that I was having, well, really arguments that I was having with my Zulu and and five percenter, you know, brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I we ain't got time to get into that, but I'm just simply saying I appreciate I appreciate that you are willing to talk about the mystic um, and to talk about the numus in a way that. Most people aren't. We have lost the mystic in evangelicalism. We have lost the ability yeah, to think word. magically and to think beyond the the natural realm, right? This this supernatural yeah. realm tends to only be constructed in a 15 minute. Okay, you can you can catch the spirit there and that's great. But, you know, but you damn sure better not have it over here or if you have it over <laughs> here. You you damn you 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 weird. Right. I mean, yeah. I don't yeah. know. man. Yeah, no, I hear that, and I I went off on a tangent. I took us completely, I took us completely out to nowhere because that was the question that you were asking was about reconciling, you know, like the 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 damage that has been done to Black people through Christianity. Yes, and that was a huge struggle for me. That's that's what I'm. That's where I meant to go when I talked about me becoming a. Like for a while, I felt like I was an atheist because I'm like, well, if God doesn't care about Black people, it can't be real. Like I can believe. I can believe in a God that is not the Western white evangelical omni God that was adopted from Greek mythology, right? right? I can I can deal with that, but I cannot deal with a God that's just bad. <laughs> you know? Right. 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 <laughs> I couldn't do that. And so and it's still it's still a struggle. You know, I'll I'll summarize that to say like there are some days where I wake up and I go, you know what? Put some respect on my ancestors' faith. You know what I'm saying? There you go. There you go. Um, like, you know, even if it doesn't always make sense to me, I go, listen, like Nat Turner and Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass. Oh, my Dr. gosh. Rosa Parks and all these, you know, you have a wide range of different types of black revolutionaries who believed in this God and this and this faith, you know, helped them to endure and to fight the power and I respect it. And sometimes I say, I want to be in that number. And there are other days where I'm just like, well, you know, I don't really have those days anymore where I'm just like, I just think that Christianity is, <laughs> is, a, is, a white, is a white man's religion. I don't believe that anymore. I, I don't, don't even struggle yeah, with that thought yeah, anymore. Yeah. No, yeah. Because, like, have you ever, have you, there's a, there's a, there's a thing about, um, there's an article about how rock music became white. Yes. And, and, yes. <laughs> And they talk about like how some people believe, I know this is like, this is just hearsay or it's a, it's a perspective, but there are some people, there's some people who believe that like there was this very calculated effort to move Jimi Hendrix out of rock and roll music 
and all this other kind of stuff to create, you know, to make rock a white genre. Yeah. I I think that Christianity is the white man's religion in as in a, in the same way that you know rock music is white people's music. Like they just appropriate stuff. You know they claim stuff is theirs. They act like they invented it, whatever. But we all know, I mean, that Christianity began with brown people. You know, um, or I should say, some of the oldest some of the oldest churches are some of the oldest Christian traditions come from brown people. That's the better way to say that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you a hundred percent. I mean, um, and it really wasn't until I was doing my doctorate and, you know, looking at ethnomusicology, theomusicology with John Michael Spencer and, and, and whatnot, and that I began to see how much rock and roll was embedded into the black community and how we mm-hmm. created a lot of these things. And I'm a musician and I'm a gearhead yeah. and stuff, man. And even the creation of amplifiers, tubes and circuits, um, you know, originated in the black community. But again, because it's been so appropriate, you think it was, you know, some white engineer uh, in the 70s. You know, it's like Rupert Neve. And those of you who don't know who Rupert Neve is, Neve, you know, his consoles have been now, you know, they're like mythic in the in the recording industry, and right? But he borrowed that science from African-Americans and, and whatnot. And it's not until you begin to, to really lay into it. And I'm with you, brother. I, I don't. I see Christianity as a black religion. It's an African religion. And and I in fact, the current book that I have, that was like the opening paragraph. Christianity uh, is an African religion. I remember I was on a podcast with two white dudes, two white progressive white dudes, man. Like my publisher set it up. And they like took issue with that. Well, what do you mean? Christianity is, is, is an African religion. Jesus never went to Africa. What are you talking about? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh brother i was like oh, okay the way, the way some people unravel right right and just i mean and this is like the first question out the box i ain't even got a chance to introduce myself and these mofos is already talking about like what do you mean it's african religion no i'm like uh, i don't get like why white folks just aren't all mormon because that's truly a white american uh, religion <laughs> right <laughs> and if i think if we had to worship that jesus that was in your house with the dreads Uh, yeah please like i said this would either be a mormon nation or this would be an atheist nation and christianity would be outlawed it would be seen the way people see muslims today yes for sure yeah absolutely this is a this is a perfect circle around though brother so so relevant how did how did that how did you you end up in a in a spot like relevant man well break it down when i was coming up through college I really I mean relevant was the jam, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like relevant was the that was the juice. Yes. You know? Yes. And I I I dreamed of writing for relevant one day. I just wanted to write one article one day. I posted in 2012, I posted on Twitter. Yeah. One day I wanted to write for relevant. And um, but I never submitted anything because I didn't think I was a good enough writer. Wow. So I just I just never did. And so Around 2016, I started writing this series on Medium called The God of the Ghetto. This was me like... Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was me processing like... The thing that brought me back, the first step back to faith for me was thinking about the Exodus story again. And one plague in particular stood out to me. It was the plague of darkness. Okay. And 
the fact that there was light in Goshen where the Hebrews lived. Okay, first off, the God of the ghetto came from the fact that all the Hebrews were relegated to Goshen. So it was a ghetto. So, um, but there was light in the ghetto. There was darkness all over the empire, right? And I thought about the fact that there were only two people in this story that ever said they wanted Hebrews to be oppressed, the two pharaohs. And yet when the plague of darkness comes on to Egypt, every Egyptian has to sit in darkness. You know, mm. there's no hashtag, not all Egyptians that's going to save nobody. And so it got me thinking about the fact that like God saw this as a communal sin. God saw the systemic oppression, you know, and God brought judgment on an, an entire complicit population. <clears throat> so I was writing about this and somebody sent me a, a, a listing from Relevant because they were following the God of the Ghetto series and was like, you should apply. Now, at the time I was making videos about racism in my uh, garage and writing. <laughs> yeah. Like I was, man, I, I would get off of work and go home and write a blog or record a video and edit it and stuff like that. I was trying to get this message out there, you know, about, and I was really theologizing around race or, about, at the time. I don't really, I don't really come from a theological perspective anymore, but at the time, that's what I was doing. And um, so they said, you should apply. And so I was like, well, listen, you know what? Like, I hate my job and, <laughs> and I'm doing all this stuff like after work, like if I could be at Relevant, like I could come, I could bring some of that work into my prime time and, you know, ha have the night off. <clears throat> so I apply and I applied for this writing position, but Relevant countered my application by offering, by, you know, saying, I'll see you the writing position and raise you to managing editor. So they, they, um, they offered me the managing editor position. Okay. I'm, I'm like, damn, like, <laughs> well, I was already interested, but like, if I'm going to come and oversee a lot of the content, like I'll make decisions. It's not just me writing, but me deciding who will get published at Relevant. Like, that's even better. Mm. So I was like, all right, deal. You know, I packed up my things. I moved from L.A. to Orlando. Oh, I'd already wow. went to school in Orlando. Wow. So I knew, I knew what I was getting into by going back to Central Florida. So I was like, I know that I don't really love Central Florida, but <laughs> but the opportunity is worth it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I get it. Now, you know, like when in the interview process, you know, uh, Cameron Strang, the CEO and, and uh, the brand manager are telling me, about how their justice content doesn't get a lot of clicks and they want to fix that. And, you know, I can come, they want me to come and bring all that I am. And I get there and they talk yeah. about my vision and, yeah. you know, using my voice and all this kind of stuff. And so, man, I jumped in and listen, I, 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 I might've came in guns blazing, you know, I might've came in like, listen, y'all need to do some racial insensitivity training in here. <laughs> I did. I did. I did raise that issue like early. I, I think it. I might have been there like a month or something like that. It's like, y'all, you know, we should do some racial sensitivity training, you know. And I don't think that they understood. Like I was, I already saw things like when I got there that I was like, okay, maybe you should nip this in the bud. You know, it's not as bad as it could be, but you need to take some preventative measures, right? So I might have come in guns blazing. 
But anyway, I, I hit the ground on the uh, managing editor position running. I loved doing that work. Well, first off, I realized that I had already been doing that work for okay. myself. Okay. Like, and I realized that I had attempted to do that work in other projects that I started. So I'm like, oh, like this is like running my own website, but I have other writers and I have submissions and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm implementing some systems. There wasn't a whole lot of structure uh, to what, to, to the department that I entered. There wasn't a, there, I want to, I don't want to say there was none, but there wasn't a, the type of structure that I felt was necessary for me to do my job well. So I started trying to build some systems and some structures to help me, you know, get it through. And one of those things that I tried to do was, <clears throat> I mean, I had to generate a lot of content, <laughs> like 80 articles per month. To 80 new articles per month just for one platform that I was. Wow. That's a lot, brother. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Just for the web, 80 articles. So, so I'm like, okay. How, and, and at the time I was the only one coming up with the ideas really for what would go on the calendar. Like they, they gave me the calendar and said, we need 20 articles a week, you know, pick some from submissions, pick some book excerpts, you know, come up with some pitches da da da. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to wrap my brain around getting 80 articles per month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, naturally, I'm like, well, I, I started in October. Halloween's coming up. Um, it's Latin. It's Latinx Heritage Month. November is native is Indigenous uh, Heritage Month. And Thanksgiving's coming up. And people are getting ready for the holidays. And I'm using all of that information to generate ideas <clears throat> for articles. So I would send out a list to all of our relevant writers and say, hey, here are a bunch of ideas. You know, I need stuff related to Thanksgiving. I need stuff related to indigenous uh, heritage. I need stuff, you know, I need fun stuff about Christmas specials. I need, you know, and then I would, um, you know, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, use the tools available to me. Now, this was fine. Like, Indigenous Heritage Month, I got as many Indigenous Christians as I could to write some, something, you know? Um, we brought Caitlin Curtis to the platform. This was up. We um, brought Travis Roberts to the platform. And this was also my thing, right? I'm like, I'm a Black man in a position of power. I'm a Black man that is now a gatekeeper at this moment, right? Ooh, <laughs> dangerous. So, so I'm going to open the gate. Like... If you are a person of color, if you're a black person and you want to write for relevant, hit me up. That was my position. So I was posting on Facebook all the time. Black people, people of color, right, right. send me pitches. You know? Yes. And yes. the reason why I was doing that is because I know that relevant has a contingency of people of color and black people who's who are not catered to that often, you know. And it, it wasn't that I was going to like try to upset the balance and be like, now we only publishing black people and people of color. Um, but the white people will be taken care of because they're the default, right? Like everybody's already thinking about them. So the people who no one is thinking about need some intentioned, you know, attention. So, you know, that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm trying to be very responsible with my position to say, this is not just about me being able to promote the things that I was doing before I got there. But now I have an opportunity to bring voices to the platform that they were previously unaware of and that need to be heard by more people. Okay. So anyway, 
I'm doing all the calendar uh, specific content. All of this is fine. It's copacetic. Nobody says anything to me about trying to get the definitive ranking of Thanksgiving sides. All right. All right. Nobody says anything to me about publishing Caitlin Curtis and Travis Roberts for Indigenous Heritage and having them, you know, <laughs> engage. What does it mean to be an Indigenous Christian considering just like we talked about black people's relationship um, with Christianity, exactly. considering the history between Christianity and indigenous peoples, how are you doing that? Like, I wanted them to write about that. And, you know, we got some really great, um, we got some really great content. Okay, so I start preparing for Black History Month in November. I start already putting out, hey, I need black history pitches. Because you know how it is, Black History Month hitting at February. Right. It's so weird because everybody's away for the holidays yep. and, you come back and then you only got a month to prepare and it always feels thrown together. So I'm like, all right, we're going to get we're going to get started before the end of the new year. Um, <clears throat> come Jan, I think it was near the end of January, because that's when you would start seeing, you know, um, the next week, because in the content meeting, we only talked about what's happening the next week. So when we got to that content meeting where February would be the next week, um, Cameron, the CEO, came to the meeting and he looked at the calendar and he was like, what, we're doing something every day for Black History Month? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, what about people who aren't interested in that? <laughs> come on, man, come on, come I'm like, on. I'm like, oh okay. Lord, okay, okay, okay. You know, you know, I, I don't even know how to respond to that right, right now. Right, right. You know, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, the first thing he said was, I can't, I don't know if I remember everything in exact order, but I'm pretty sure the first thing he said was, well, no one talked to me about that. I'm like, well, I've been here for like three months now, you know, and I've never spoken to anyone about, hey, I need to run this by you. I'm trying to do this thing for, you know, Y'all dropped the content calendar in my lap and told me to fill it. So I'm filling the calendar, <laughs> you know. Matter of fact, I've gathered 25% of February's content already. So for me, I'm doing a great job. For me, I'm feeling pretty great about like not having to scramble for right. 25% of the content when it right. comes to Okay, so he's like, no one talked to me about that. And my response was, I'm trying to be very diplomatic. Oh, yeah. See? Okay. All right. That's a whole other podcast right there on exactly. black diplomacy. No, I'm, but I'm, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm trying to manage the situation with the top dog. Okay. Because, because he's getting in his feelings about this. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I say, well, I was not under, I was not of the understanding that we needed to, um, have a conversation about this. Um, and he's like, well, we're going to, then he's like, we're going to do something every day. What about people who aren't, who aren't interested in that? I didn't say anything to that that I remember because I, I didn't know what to say because I'm thinking in my head, like, you know exactly what I was doing, that you saw the God of the Ghetto series before I got here. So you know who I am, you know what I'm about, you know what I stand for. So I don't know why you, I don't, or I don't know how you could look a black activist in the face and fix your lips to say, what about people who aren't interested in that? Do you think that I came 
across the country to cater to people who aren't interested in that? Is that what you think? Those are the things you think in your head, but you're not going to, you know, you're not going to necessarily say to your boss in front of everybody. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So, all right. I didn't know what to say. I just, I just sat there and then I was like, well, we did this for Indigenous Heritage Month. We did this for the holidays. I just figured that we would do this for Black history and for women's history and, you know, so on and so forth. And then he looks at me and goes, oh, so you're just making decisions now? Oh, no. No. Ooh. No. Ooh. <laughs> oh, no. I say, oh, Lord. Okay. Right, All right. right. Oh, Lord. Yes, exactly. That is the <laughs> universal Black saying. <laughs> yes. Universal. Gosh, dogs. Ooh. Lord, that's that's where we at. Okay, you just making decisions. I love that. That's your title for Twitter, dude. I fell out, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm sick too. And this brother gonna put that in his Twitter handle, bruh. Oh man, I had to go to the bathroom on that one, man. But but please continue since you're making decisions. I said, I mean, I'm thinking in my head like. What did you hire? I mean, my this is my title is managing editor. You get you drop the content schedule in my lap. You told me to make decisions. And now today, all of a sudden, you're surprised. And you're saying this in front of my team. I think that was the thing that was the most uh, upsetting about that comment was that I'm sitting in front of my subordinates. And you're saying to me and you're questioning my ability to make decisions and my and the legitimacy of me being able to make decisions. It was like I'm being told I'm out of place or I'm out of line. Ooh, wee, hoo, wee. All right. All right. Yo, what I tell you? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm going to pause this right there because we're right about that mark. So then I'm going to we're going to continue part two for next week, y'all. Um. I, I told you it's getting deep. It's getting deep. And you're like, Oh no, Dan, don't cut it off there. I get it. I get it. If you, hey, if you're listening to this in real time, I'm sorry. Got to wait a week. But if you're listening to this, like in March of 2023, uh, you know, uh, you can just go right to part two right now. <laughs> um, so, uh, again, this is just a con- an ongoing uh, process of development. And one of the development pieces is that I wanted to break some of these up um, and put them in part in, in two part episodes and whatnot. So join us next week. Whitehodgepodcast.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher. Please subscribe. Please check us out and see what's up. See what's going down. I will see y'all next week and finish up this conversation, Brother Andre. Peace, y'all.